The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Jim Whitehead are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Uh, good morning, and it's welcome to Talk Money. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Today, we're going to cover some subjects that I think sometimes can be emotional and uh, create some amounts of stress and anxiety. And they're all around things that we feel like as we head into this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas that all of us we need to be thinking about. Now, the first topic is not one that we like to think about at Thanksgiving and Christmas for sure, but it is a topic that we've got questions about. And if you've got a question for us, you always know you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com and we will try to address it. And this particular topic is about divorce and money. My guest, Jim Whitehead, Certified Financial Planner. Jim, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. You know, Jim, when we talk about divorce and money, and we're going to be talking about estate planning coming up with Scott Jordan, and then literally some of the issues we deal with in car insurance and and all the things we've got that coming up later with Dane Williams, but divorce and money can get so stressful and so emotional. Help me understand some of the problems that we have as far as what you see, and I know you do a lot of counseling. I know you serve working with attorneys and all the people that are involved, mediation teams and stuff. When you talk about divorce and money and the emotions that it creates, what do you see? Is what do you see? I guess is the biggest issues. You know what? I think where does where does that person start? You know, they need to go out and a lot of times, most times in marriages, you got one spouse who's good with the money or good with the retirement. And so you have another spouse who doesn't know where to start, and the best thing to do is to develop a team. Go out and find the attorney that can help. Go out and find a financial advisor that's trained in a divorce. Find a good counselor, somebody that you can just talk to and say, I have these things going on, and I don't really know what to do, and be able to release. Have a group of friends that can get your mind off of it and take you shopping or take you play golf or you know, help, help you work through this emotional time. Because in divorce, it's not just something that happens today. This has been going on for a month or two years or five years. All of a sudden, the triggering event is, okay, papers are served. Mm. And now, divorce isn't over in a day. Sometimes this divorce process takes years and years. And that's because two people who were in love now can't seem to agree on anything. And that creates all these things we call the emotion side, Mm. this fear, anxiety, confusion, anger, guilt. I mean, conflict, uh, deception. All that's a part of it, and yet they've got to work through financial issues. They've got to get together and try to split what they've accumulated together over a period of 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And that's where you're saying find a team, get some people. Now, where do they go? How do they do that? I know they can call you, and I want to tell everybody the telephone number is 757-5757. But but literally, if I am – Thinking about this, Jim, how do I start? I mean, here I am all of a sudden going through this process. I've got all of those emotions going on. You're telling me 
develop a team, how? How do I get started? I think step one is to find a, an attorney that you, that you connect with and ask friends and families. Divorce is not new. It's something that's going on all around us. So I'm sure that there's a, plenty of your friends and relatives that could give you referrals of the best experience with an attorney that they've had and the people that they like. And go out there and interview two or three of them and make sure you're connecting with the person. Because here's what happens. Life gets in the way. You got to take your children to school. You got to go to work. You got to do the dishes. You have to do all the regular things in life. And then you're managing this conflict. And the first thing I believe is you got to make sure that the legal aspect, which is divorce is a legal issue. But it's expensive. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, think about it. I've got to go do this. Now, I know that Tennessee is a mediation state, Mississippi, Arkansas are not. Those are issues that at least you can think about mediation. But, but that's expensive. I don't have any money to pay for that. Right. Well, you know, a lot of times it has to deal with what all you're going to be arguing over. If there's not a lot to argue over, you're going to get through this process a lot quicker. But if you have been married for 20 years and you have a pension plan and maybe interest in a small business or you, or you have a 401k, there's more interest and more things to talk about. That process takes longer. And it's either going to cost you on the front end or the back end. You're going to spend money somewhere. You're going to either give up more assets or you're going to have to pay for an attorney. There's a combination here that's important. I know that you do, when you're doing a lot of counseling, you're usually working with the attorney, and it's usually the the female spouse that you've got that's been called in that you're getting somebody to help put together. Now, let me with this. I have all of a sudden found, you know, people, I've gotten served papers, and and I'm, I'm struggling. I wasn't expecting it. I've got to go through this process. Uh, I don't have a, a lot in my checking account. I mean, you know, he had all the check money and all this. And it's kind of like all of a sudden I am isolated. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. to guide me through, again, you said, I heard you say counsel, get some, seek some godly counsel, pastor, maybe somebody, you know, people that you know, friends. But, but you have to be careful. And not a lot of people are willing to bear their soul and say, guess what just happened to me? How do you walk through that? How do you get started? Give us some steps. I know you, you, you really were very adamant. If you go in and get the counseling started, you're really kind of saying that'll hold the cost down if you build your team. But getting that team and you said, go to the attorney first, I can't afford it. What do I do? Well, you still have to respond to, to court. You know, a lot of times you got to think you're in love with somebody for all these years. And the only two people who are going to, you, you have to have attorneys when you can't agree. So I tell clients <clears throat> to try to bring back the pride and try to, to talk. A lot of times the other spouse will not talk, okay? And that's going to take time. And there's a legal process that you're going to be following. By developing a team, I help my clients, you know, go picking a good attorney. We used to be a member of the bar. We know plenty of attorneys, so we can give some referrals. But also is to understand this process. Most people haven't been through a divorce before, so this is a new process. So clearly helping them understand the timelines and what they're going to be discussing in mediation. Um, again, if children are involved, how the, the state or the courts are going to mandate alimony, child support, and how these are negotiable items in mediation. You know, helping a client understand different values of assets. For example, What's more important, $100,000 of cash or $100,000 of a retirement plan that you're going to have to pay taxes on? So helping clients who have never had these split of assets or income discussions help them understand clearly the importance of each asset and how to negotiate for those. And then, you know, don't go to your attorney for counseling. Go to them for the legal advice. 
if you need to vent and, and share some ideas, go to friends who aren't going to give you bad advice on how they handled their divorce. Mm, that's okay? good Let the attorney lead the legal side of this. That's important because their whole job is to make sure things are running the right way. Find a good financial coach, a good financial divorce planner who can help you understand the issues with money and help you make better decisions. I think one of the things that I want everybody to know, too, we would never say not to go and get counseling. We would say to try to salvage the, you know, a marriage. Marriage, in our opinion, is very sacred, and uh, divorce is at the absolute last end of the road type of end of thing that happens to people. But we would always try to encourage you to seek good counsel, godly counsel that can guide you through and, and put the marriage back together. If it's forgiveness and you mentioned pride and arrogance and all those things that go on, that's just basic sin. But the reality is, is if you can't, how do you go about going through that process? Well, Jim's given us some ideas. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what are the biggest conflicts in divorce. Now, think about it. There's some things that are just mountains, and you need to know what they are. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Just remind you that you can find this show on Apple, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to our podcast and be sure to leave us a review. We would appreciate it. We're talking with Jim Whitehead, certified financial planner. We're talking about the emotional subjects of divorce and money and how it can create all kind of anxiety and stress and you know, I think it starts with expectations, uh, you know, that are not being met. you got complacency. That's a problem. Selfishness, pride, all of that goes in to this chemistry that creates two people that no longer want to be together. And I tell you, that is a devastating thing to kids, to people, to anybody surround you. So we always encourage you to do everything you can to work this out and make it not a part of your life so that you can continue. But if you have to, if it's a situation that you really know I don't have a choice, then how do you go about it? Well, Jim, I had asked you earlier before the program, before we took the break, that, you know, some of these things we were going through, you said absolutely seek counsel, build a team, get you a good financial team. I, I like what you were saying. That's all part of it. It helps kind of assure you that you're not out there in the jungle by yourself. But I mentioned some of these, the big mountains of a divorce, and I want you to clarify so that everybody is sensitive to that. What are the things you really need to be aware of? What is number one? Well, you know, Jim, let me just remind you, remember what it was like being in love for the very first time? Absolutely. Still in love. Right. Just, you know, still 49 if, years still in love. That's right. If her favorite color is green, all of a sudden your favorite color is green. Absolutely. I mean, everything in the world was just like at its best. Right? The house is green. Right. You're right. Yeah. Well, you know, in divorce, it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Everything that person does, the way they brush their teeth, the way they comb their hair, what time they wake up, all of these are big pet peeves for um, people going through divorce. And they focus. They incorrectly focus on a lot of the little things. 
the three big things are going to be obviously children. If you have children, children. Right. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a huge priority of who's going to spend what time, where are they going to stay. There's a parenting plan in the state of Tennessee that you have to go through. You know, next is assets. All the stuff that you own, house, cars, you know, retirement plans, all of that. The next is income. How much money does this family make? All right. Let me make sure we've just covered them. And, and I think it's important that you, you talk a little bit about each one of them. Number one, children. And how does the financial counselor get involved in helping go through that process of talking about children? Well, you know, it's it, children cost money. <laughs> you know, I think that's, <laughs> okay. you know, I mean, think about In our budget. Yeah, think about our budget, right? And here's what, here's the um, the thing that's difficult. We're going to take one household with a budget, and we're going to now split that into two households with a budget. So rent and home, there's now two costs. Food is now two costs at two homes. We're talking about utilities. Now there's two utilities. All of this adds up in a discovery of what does it take each person to live and provide for these children, depending on how much time they have. And the case of the state of Tennessee is pretty adamant that you're going to take care of children. That's correct. That's that's a great thing. You know, I was reading, you talk about cost and budget. I was just talking to somebody who's got five sons. It's a, you know, they were talking about gas prices, and, and, and they compared it to the gallons of milk. Right. Because they buy a gallon of milk. Every two days. Oh, I believe it. (laughs) That is amazing. Five gallons now. Five gallons, a gallon of milk per boy. I mean, it's so so. Gas is not their biggest problem, but it's right. a budget. You're right. Right, right. Well, gas will be when they're 16. <laughs> yes, I mean, and car true. insurance and that's true. multiple cars. You know, and then we're going to talk about how to manage income, right? So, a hey, a family that's making a hundred thousand dollars together is all of a sudden making. 50000 separate or whatever it is. And now you're going to have the same expenses. You're living in a certain lifestyle, and now you got just a, let's just say, half. So how do you do all that on half? Could you could you imagine somebody taking half of your income away today? So you sit down with them and work <clears throat> through a budget with you know with your the one that you're counseling with. You develop that budget and show it to the courts. This is what it's going to take for the second household to live? Well, we do, in like financial planning world, stochastic modeling where we go – the bottom, the top, a mid-range. We look at everything that should be going on. A lot of times people don't know what it's going to cost. For example, we're going to get a divorce, and I now have to go get my own health insurance or my own car insurance. I know Dane's going to be talking in a minute. I have to do all these things that I did not do alone before. And now there's these additional costs. How much are they? Mm, How much does it cost for long-term care? How much does it cost to you know, continue to save in a retirement plan when I didn't work? How do we build all this structure back into our our lives when I may not have been the spouse in charge of that? So you talked about the children and then income. And I I understand budget being critical in the last few minutes we got left. Assets. That's always, I mean, that is always a big argument. Well, you know, and the one that comes up the most, especially for the the female spouse, is I want to live in the home. Well, the home may be too expensive. And so what we have to understand is I want my kids to stay in the same house. But my cost will be way more than if I move to a different house. We have to analyze all these situations. And sometimes you may have a child who's 16. I'm only going to live there for two years, and then I'm going to sell my house. Put that into a plan. Show them the trajectory of the rest of their life. The decisions we make today in a divorce are going to affect the rest of our life. And we don't understand that impact. And so what we have to do is be clearly understanding, giving the client multiple details of how to discuss all of these topics in a way that they feel safe and secure, that there's not a right 
answer or a wrong question, but they have the freedom to discover all of this stuff. So the day that they go to mediation, they understand the process. Mm. You know, and I, I call it let's get fair. Let's get let's get fair plus little. The court is not going to really hurt one client and really support another one. What I mean by little is if you really need that China, okay, then we're going to fight for the China. But we may have to give up something else. Because, again, we're talking about <clears throat> our children. We're talking about child support. We're talking about alimony. And we're talking about income. That's what we're talking about. And so there's not a lot of other things. So we can dissect that 1,000 ways until that client is safe and feeling secure about the rest of their life. All right. You've laid it out. And I like the thoughts. You talked about the emotions, all of this guilt, conflict, the deception. Get somebody to help you build around a counseling team, a pastor, uh, you know, a Christian counselor, somebody that can really help you, somebody that gives you some insight, and then develop that financial counselor. And that, that is what you're saying you do. If you want to talk to Jim Whitehead, 757-5757, give him a call. Bottom line is you're putting a team together so that you know the language. And that's really what you said. And then three big mountains, I like the way you put it, the children, the assets, and knowing the income needs and having a clear understanding of what the budget needs to look like. Jim, thanks so much, man. You did Thank a great you, job. I think it's important for us to understand divorce is tough. It's emotional, but you got to know what's going on financially. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. All right. We want to go and kind of shift the gears here because one of the biggest issues that we have that a lot of people talk about is, do I need a will? And we didn't say anything when we were talking about that divorce and how you might want to change your will. But Scott Jordan, Certified Financial Planner, is also going to guide us through some planning basics, some estate planning basics, some fundamentals. So, Scott, lean in with me now, and I'm going to ask you the question, who needs estate planning? That's a big term to a lot of people, and they really think, well, I'm not sure. Who needs it, Scott? And I, and I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think that can be misleading because you, you hear that word estate, and it sounds like it's only maybe for wealthy people with a large amount of assets. But, you know, if you don't have a will, then the state that you live in, the state that you die in, is going to decide how your assets are distributed, and that may not align with your wishes. So I think everybody needs a will in order to make sure that what you want to happen to your assets is going to happen to your assets. What about minor children? Does that, does that I know that plays into where people need to understand that you got to name the guardian in right, the will and right. the guardian. Explain to people exactly what that means when I'm naming a guardian. It may not be who you, you know, so the whole family may not think it's the right person, but it's who you've chosen to be the guardian of your children. Yes, and that's that's one of the critical things when we're counseling young couples is the importance of having that will is naming that guardian for the young children. Because, again, if you don't name that guardian, the state is going to end up naming that guardian for you. Now, most likely you're going to pick a family member that could be reasonable but may not be who you want to. And also, you you brought up that everybody in the family may not agree on who that guardian oh, is. Oh, I well. have been, I have been, <laughs> yes. and the, that, that can cause a lot of arguments. At the courthouse, when it's like uh, you know, grandparents arguing with each right. other, and uncles, or right. and you know, they don't mean to. The kids are sitting there, you know, they're going, "Oh my goodness!" Yeah. But the judge sometimes, I mean, this particular judge I'm thinking about said, "Okay, guys, I'll let the kids watch you do this," thinking yeah. that they would stop. Yeah. 
but they didn't for no. a while. And well, it's so emotional he, time. It is know? an emotional so. time. They just simply didn't have the guardian's name. But it's important. You're saying name who you want to you take want care to? of the children. I mean, we're all going to die, and most people die at a time that they don't anticipate, and somebody's going to get your stuff. So you can only decide before you die who you want to get your stuff. If you don't decide before you die who gets it, then the state will decide for you. And, again, that may not align with what you want to happen. Durable power of attorney. Everybody has one or should have one? That's, you know, we kind of throw that into what we call the basic package. Yes, I think everybody does. And if you don't know what that is, a durable power attorney just allows a person that you name as an attorney, in fact, to act on your behalf, either in making financial decisions or health care decisions. So we think it's important to have a durable power attorney for both financial and health care to allow somebody to make decisions for you in the event you're incapacitated and can't make them for yourself. All right, what are the questions I want to ask you before when we come back? If I'm married, does my spouse automatically have my durable power of attorney? I mean, is she, because we're married, is that already done? And that's a question I know a lot of people ask. We're going to answer that when we come back. We're talking with Scott Jordan, certified financial planner. He's talking about estate planning basics. You do not want to miss the rest of this program. I'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific situation. Hey, I just want to remind you, coming up in the next part of the program, I'm going to be talking with Dane Williams. We're going to talk about some very specific ways to lower your automobile cost and how to do that with the idea behind protecting what you need to protect but getting the best deal you possibly can. Just some of the questions you need to know to ask. You can find our show on an Apple podcast or Spotify. All you got to do is wherever you listen to podcasts, but search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, subscribe to our podcast, and leave us a review. And I want to remind you that we're talking about estate planning with Scott Jordan, and there is a PDF that we've got for you that I want to just make it available to you. And all you have to do, it's called Estate Strategies, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan. And that's, you know, I know the word estate plan kind of sounds like it's a little big deal, but it's really not. It's just how do you put together what you need? Just simply go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post. It's absolutely free. Download it. I think you'll find it be very, very beneficial for you. All right. Um, back to you, Scott. We talked about durable power of attorney. And I mean, the power of attorney sounds so important and so critical. I'm giving somebody durable. That sounds like it's going to be forever, you know, going on and on and on. And you say it's the financial and it's for health care provisions. But I don't need to do that, do I, if my if I'm married or is that not the case? That's one of the biggest misconceptions you see out there. Just being married to somebody does not always give you the right to act on their behalf. Now, with some things like bank accounts and accounts that are jointly titled, sure, that may be the case. But things that are individually owned and then especially in making health care decisions, you still need to name that person as a as a attorney in fact. Now, you can name your spouse as the attorney in fact and give them that power, but it does you don't automatically have that through the law just because you're married. So 
a marriage certificate certificate does not say that's my durable power. Correct. You know, that is a misconception for a lot of people because I think if the average person, uh, you know, was in the hospital, they said, well, my wife or my, my husband will make the decision what to do. And that's not the case. And if I'm, you know, not available or not capable, I'm in a car accident, I'm in a coma. Sure, my, my spouse can write checks out of his account or, or whatever. The, the answer is no. no so they no, not, not if to, it's not a joint account. Not no. if it's not a joint right. account. That's something they need to be thinking about, and that's very, very important. So now let me think about this. When we look at some mistakes that happen when it comes to estate planning or just having the documents, you know, we talked literally about failing to develop that last will and testament, having all those things. People believe that, you know, only the super wealthy need to do that, and that's not the case. And I think you've driven that home, and I think you get that across. But having a plan relieves this, the surviving family members a lot of, I think, emotional distress. Sure. I think it's it, inter-family inter arguments. Those are always, we see that a lot. And it end up costing you a lot of legal fees. So Certainly. with the idea of putting it together, but what are some of the mistakes? Tell me the kind of what you see as one of the biggest mistakes. Well, you know, of course, failing to develop the plans one, but also just not having ad adequate records or not leaving a complete list for your heirs or, you know, whether it's the person you name as executor or personal representative of your estate or maybe a trustee of a trust. They need to have accurate records of where everything is, what all you have, where to go look for certain items, whether it's bank statements, you know, investment account statements, keys to safe deposit boxes. Uh, and one of the often overlooked things, too, is passwords. A lot of the things we do these days, we're accessing whether it's bank accounts or social media sites online. And somebody needs to have access to those passwords in order to be able to get into those in, in the event of death. Well, it's written down on a piece of paper, and I stuck yeah. it in the Bible, I think. Right, right. <laughs> so, somebody needs to know where that is. So you it's, know, we have it, a it, case that we're working with right now. If you'd like to talk to Scott, the telephone number is 901-757-5757. But, Scott, you know the case that I'm talking about where we actually, they've got a safe, a mm -hmm. big safe. Yes, you yes, know. I do know. And, um, she can't find the keys. Right. And, right. Uh, and now, so. eventually, I think we'll be able to call a safe company that will come in. and Sure. Put it, but that's going to be an expense. At an enormous cost. And we kind of even joked that it, it may be like the Al Capone's tomb episode where <laughs> yes. you, you spend all the money to get in there and open it up and it's empty. It's empty, so we, yeah. We really but, just don't know. you know. It's, and that's an expense. Yeah. So those are things when you talk about adequate records. List of assets, those those things like passwords on on how many accounts that you've got. Guys, listen to me. This is important. I think everybody needs to understand. Estate planning is something you do before death. Right. After death, it can be very, very difficult. Very troublesome. And that's what we're trying to talk about is just yes. helping people understand. So the mistake of not keeping adequate records. What about beneficiary, beneficiary designations? This is another area where I think there's a lot of confusion. Um, you know, somebody takes the time to go to attorney or goes online, however they do it, and draws up a will, and they assume that that is going to govern how all of their assets are passed. But... You know, assets pass in a few different ways. It's either by will or by trust, or it's by contract or by beneficiary designation or by operational law based on title. And well, an, an asset, like for example, most people have retirement accounts, and those are passed through beneficiary designation, and that is going to override or supersede any will or any other instructions given. So whoever's named as the beneficiary on that account, that's where that account's going to go. And we've all 
in this business seen situations where an ex-spouse may have been inadvertently left on there or a child that maybe not have been around when the original beneficiary designations were named is is left out of the inheritance because those were not updated or not in sync with the rest of the estate planning. So and it creates very that, important. that argument important. or that contention. Yes. And I know from that standpoint, Jim, you've had some cases where you're working through that divorce where that's a problem. You know, that's a, a really big deal. A lot of times in the divorce, we're hitting the big items, right? And the next thing you know, the divorce is over and no one has checked on these small issues. And I've heard horror stories where you know, the husband dies and the life insurance goes to the ex-spouse. Ex-spouse, yes. And, uh, you know, that's been, you know, one of those things where you got to keep checking off all the little details to make sure they get done. This is These little things um, slip through the cracks too well, often. Well, you know, and I think it's important for those children that happen to be adult children today and you got mom or dad who is now a senior citizen, maybe in a, a nursing home or maybe, and you haven't looked at anything in a long time. Now, let me just say, this is the end of year planning. You're looking at 2022. Might be a great time to sit back and say, okay, let's kind of put everything together, get the documents, look at the arrangements. What about titling, Scott? I mean, I know sometimes I've got to title a, you know, an asset, and but it's not the way I want it to be titled. Right. And again, that's going back to how property passes. Uh, joint assets, a lot of people have bank accounts, uh, um, you know, different investment accounts, things titled joint assets with rights of survivorship. Well, that is great as an estate planning tool because you can avoid probate that way. But you have to consider, is that the way you want these things to pass? We we had an example recently where we had a client come in and, and it was before they talked to us, they ended up retitling all the CDs at their bank and adding their daughter on there as joint one daughter. And they had and three they had daughters. Three daughters yep. And so I said, you know, basically through the conversation, we said, you know, you've basically inadvertently disinherited the other daughters unless that one daughter really wants to play nice and share her inheritance with them. So it's important that things are titled correctly. The whole plan is in sync. That's why we always call this a process because, you know, it's something that you don't just do one time and forget. It needs to be reviewed periodically. We need to make sure that all of those, whether it's beneficiary designations or titling of asset, all that is in sync with the estate plan and exactly like you want it to be on an ongoing basis. And what you're talking about is avoiding emotional distress and prevent interfamily arguments. And that can be, I mean, you, we've, we've been in the oh, room. Oh, gosh. We've sat there. And, you know, I know it's hard to believe families would argue over money, but, I mean, and, and sometimes it's a simple thing like a, a spoon in the kitchen that, it's some of the craziest things that we see people fight over, but it's an emotional time for people already. You know, they've lost a loved one, and then you start bringing money into the equation, and it gets very, very ugly very quick if things are not laid out properly. I know. We talk about using a will. Obviously, mm. that's the legal document. But if you've got the spoon in the kitchen yeah. or the, you know, the, the yard row that was given, yeah. you know, whatever it is, write this down in a letter and say, this is my wishes. This is not a right. last wedding testament. Right. But look, here's what I'm trying to tell you to do. Right. And it's kind of like dad saying to the kids or mom saying to the kids or jointly they're saying to the kids, just give them some direction. That saves some of the arguments. What about when you're looking at incapacity? That can be such a devastating part. Now that's the, you know, going back to having that uh, durable power of attorney for health care and, and financial reasons. You know, a lot of people don't consider incapacity. They may have all the stuff done for the event of death, but incapacity is a big one. And you need to give somebody the authority to act on your behalf in the event that you can't make those decisions on your own. Man, you've done a great job. A lot of stuff. Bottom line, you're saying 
update it, review it, update it, get it done, and be make it a part of something you do and review every year. Absolutely. And, and work with somebody that's been through this to help you think through all the things that need to be addressed. Uh, it's it's it, you know, and it's tempting in this do-it-yourself society to go out and get on the Internet and do it yourself, but you may not think of all the things you need to think of. Just talk through that with somebody that's A lot been of experience it. needs to be into this, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. If you want to talk with Scott, you can call him at 901-757-5757. Coming up when we come back, Dane Williams, and he is going to give us some guidance on how to lower your insurance costs when it comes to your automobile and home. And the reality is you can You just got to know the people to talk to. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Keep in mind that the primary reason to purchase a life insurance product is the death benefit. Life insurance products contain fees, such as mortality and expense charges, which may increase over time, and may contain restrictions such as surrender periods. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990. My guest has been Jim Whitehead. We've talked about divorce and money. Scott Jordan, we talked about estate planning basics. And now we're into the segment with Dane Williams. We're talking about ways to cut your insurance costs, the insurance premiums, and not just cut it, it's just getting the best deal. I mean, today, is such, it's gotten to the point it's so expensive, but lowering your car insurance is something you can do if you know how to do it. And this is what we're going to get to some of the thoughts from uh, Dane. But, Dane, first and foremost, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited for the uh, the upbeat portion. After we're ready for divorce and ready to die, now we're going to talk about the car insurance. Saving car insurance. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, here's the thing, Dane. You talk about car insurance, and I know you work with a lot of people helping them you know, manage this car because car insurance can get out of hand and you do a phenomenal job. But there are a couple of things that I've heard you talk about before and you kind of hammered this and say, this is a non-negotiable. What are you talking about? Well, I think the biggest thing with it is your liability limits, right? We all know that states have different minimum amounts of coverage that everyone has to have. And that's not to fix your car. The, the government does not care if you have a car to drive around. What they do want to make sure is that anybody you hit, um, that you've got a certain amount of liability to, to fix any injuries they may sustain and, uh, and whatever property damage you may do. Now, state minimum coverage is just not enough, though. We think I, I want to see at least $100,000 per person bodily injury coverage, and I'd feel way happier up at two fifty. So those liability limits are things that are, are pretty much non-negotiable for me. I understand that. So you're talking about covering the unexpected liability that just occurs if you're driving in, you know, on, an, on a concrete street, on a paved street. You just whether it's Memphis, Shelby County, Tennessee, or New York, it's the same thing. You're just going to have to be careful. But if you have that unexpected accident, knowing that you covered that, as you said, non-negotiable liability. That's absolutely the way that you got to go because you never know how injured someone is going to be. Whenever you're at fault in an accident. It doesn't matter what health insurance the injured party has because Blue Cross Blue Shield's not paying a dime. It's all going to fall back on you and your auto insurance policy. And you want to make sure that you're taken care of there. Boy, that is so critical. All right. With that being the non-negotiable, all right, we start with that cornerstone there. 
What goes into insurance when you look at it? The carrier, what are they looking at determining how much Jim Shoemaker, Dane Williams is going to pay for a cost? Yeah, so there's a gazillion different data points, but I think the biggest ones to focus on when they're trying to determine how much okay, you're going to... i got to get a deal on this gazillion. Yeah. Gazillion. It, it's lots a, of zeros. There's several zeros and then <laughs> add four more. Okay, so, got it. <laughs> uh, but some of the biggest ones is right off the bat, it's going to be your driving record. Uh, I think that's probably the most impactful one. Having a clean driving record is going to mean lower rates. Having... Uh, not so clean records going to make it uh, to where it's more expensive or some carriers just won't write you at all. Now, that when you say driving record, that's driving tickets, automobile accidents, anything else? Those are the biggest things, right? So if you've got any type of uh, citations that have been issued because of something you've done for a moving violation, that's going to hurt. And then your, your claims history, even if you weren't at fault in an accident. I got a quick question. Have you ever been stopped? And uh, they didn't give you a ticket. I mean, I, I'm just just curiosity out of you know. Have you ever had that privilege? Right. Once or twice, it's happened to me before, uh, and I think that's uh, why a lot of us have ended up in sales. Right? You got to got to put that sales foot well, forward. Obviously, you know, it has <laughs> never happened to me. Mm. If I've stopped, I'm just ready for the ticket. I just I just know it's coming. You know, they must look at me and say. Good, you know, right there. Well, arrest this guy. Yeah. You know, but I hear you. Okay, what else? You got, you know, the idea behind driving history. What else? So they're also going to look at your demographics, right? Uh, the younger you are, typically, the more expensive it gets to be. And then once you start to age, uh, you, you start to hit the more favorable rates. And then eventually you get on the other side of that age spectrum and it starts to hurt you again. But uh, you, your gender, your credit score, all of these demographic factors, where you live, these things play a part as well. You said credit score. Absolutely. So, so managing your, okay, that's yeah, very so important. There's a lot of those things that uh, they've got actuarial math that says people that are in this range are going to typically file more claims, have more accidents that go into that. So there's there's a lot of different pieces with that. Driving history, demographics, what else? Uh, your vehicle type. Um, if you've got a vehicle that can't go, you know, 200 miles an hour, then there's very low likelihood of you getting in a wreck at 200 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> I have one of those vehicles. Yeah, yeah. It will not go 200 miles an hour. By the way, I've been on the interstate a couple of times. There have been some people past me that honestly, they may, they wasn't going 200 miles an hour, but they were flying. If you, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm just amazed that we got that on the interstate. It, it, it's wild, but you also have to look at the cost to repair your vehicle. So even maybe you don't buy a, a race car, but you've got something that's got a lot of detailed pieces that may be a, a smaller sports car type thing that even the tiniest little accident can create a significant amount of damage to, to have to replace a lot of parts, and that's going to make your rates go higher. Driving history, demographics, vehicle type. Yeah. And, All right. What else? Probably the last one, and it has the least amount of impact compared to those other three, but it's going to be the coverage you request, right? So if you have more coverage that's available to you, then they're going to charge you more for it because they're on the hook for more. But those other things typically are going to have even a bigger impact than the coverage. Well, all right. So now we're trying to get through this process. We've got those are the kind of the four, you know, if you're looking at building the square, that's the four that you need. Driving history, demographic, vehicle type, coverage requested. Now, how? let me ask you this. Me being the guy that if they stop, I'm going to get a ticket. Now, I will say this. It's been a long time since I got my last ticket. I hope nobody's listening and I leave the studio. <laughs> you know, that would be perfect, would it? But I haven't had a ticket in a long time. But how long does a ticket stay on your driving record? Yeah, so your tickets are generally going to be about three years, and then any type of claims that you experience are going to be five. Now, each carrier has the uh, opportunity to adjust their range depending on where they go. Some go as high as seven years even. 
But generally speaking, your, your moving violations are going to be three. Your accidents, your claims, those are going to be five with the vast majority of carriers. All right. Now, let me ask you this. I'm driving 40 miles, 45 miles an hour in a 35-mile speed zone, okay? And I drive through one of those going home. Mm-hmm. I, I, I drive, try to drive 35 to 40, you know, somewhere in that range. But if I'm on the interstate and I'm going 75, 80, 85, I get a ticket. Is one ticket worse than the other? I mean, 85 miles an hour on the interstate, is that bigger penalty than me going 40 in a 35 miles. So all tickets are not the same, right? But the way they get them classified is very similar to the way that they write the tickets, right? It's 10 over, it's 15 over, it's however it works out that way, right? So whether it was, you know, 40 in a 30 or 80 in a 70, either way it was 10 over. I got you. I understand that. So 55 in a 35 was was not good. It's it's not great. You get 20, you're getting close to reckless driving at that (laughs) point, and that's uh, that's not good. That's good. All right. All right. When you talk about demographics, and that was, you know, you kind of laid into that a little bit, but those are things that you mentioned gender. I heard that. Talk about that. Gender, male, female. Is is do we we tell me about that? I'm well, so there's just crazy actuarial math that gets done that they can say, well, because you're a male, you're more likely to have this type of accident. And because you're a female, you're more likely to have that type of accident. Age range. Uh, you're, you're well, I could go down that path. I don't think you should, sir. You know, I don't think that's going to go well for you. you know, but I know that Claire, she's watching us right now, and she might just turn us off, you know, but yes. uh, I get it. So I wonder if that has anything to do with Facebook time on the phone. While you're, never mind. We'll, uh, never mind. We'll move on. Yeah. So these type of things are absolutely going to have an impact in your rates, though, because the insurance companies can look at all the data and the claims that they've paid out, and they can see that, look, you know, when you fall into these buckets, it's going to be more expensive for us. And when you're in these other ones, then it's less expensive. So just the demographics you're in are going to have an impact on your rate. All right. So gender, then you talk about that age, same thing. Zip code, marital status, all of these things. They'll say someone that is uh, single is going to be more risky than someone that is married. And we all know exceptions to that rule, right? But generally speaking, when you look at it in a certain way, they're going to say that this married person may be more responsible. So in turn, they're going to have a, uh, a more favorable rate. All right. Any by far, I mean, when you think about this, one of the most important ways is sometimes you talk about this, Dane, is being that you got to shop around. Sure. Tell me about that. Having a good insurance broker that represents several different companies to, to go around and get the quotes for you is a good idea because a lot of times your rates are just going to creep up year over year over year. And if you're not on top of it, then, then you may miss it. Or if you don't have an insurance broker that's on top of it for you, you may miss these things. So at least once every three <coughs> years, we try to make sure that we take our clients out to make sure there's not a more favorable carrier in the marketplace to get them better rates. Dane, you would be my guy. I tell you, you do a great job. There's so many things. When you talk about the four corners, I mean, you're talking about driving history, demographics, vehicle type, coverage. You want to talk to Dane, you can call him at 901-757-5757. Man, I tell you, you have absolutely nailed it for me. I appreciate it very much, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. All right. We want to thank these guys. Uh, they've done a great job. Jim Whitehead, Scott Jordan, and Dane Williams. Of course, if you've got questions for them, as I've said, you can call them at 901-757-5757. To find a copy of the PDF that I mentioned earlier, Estate Planning, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan, just simply go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post, 
It's absolutely free. Next week, Kurt Zarnowski, Scott Jordan, and Tommy Armstrong. We're going to be talking about Social Security in 2022, what will change, and also some tax planning and common tax errors that we need to avoid And when we start preparing our tax returns. That's Wednesday and Saturday mornings right here on KWAM, the Mighty 990 at 9 a.m. If you have questions, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. I want to thank you so much for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Jim Whitehead are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.